Well, as I said, we are in our Christmas series, and we're calling it an unlikely Christmas. We're looking at some of the unlikely events that surround the Christmas story and how those things really relate to what is going on in our lives. Last week, Brett talked with us about how uh, really, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus were so incredibly unlikely, and then Mary's response to Jesus, Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, was so unlikely, but it was exactly what it should have been. And today, we're going to focus on the unlikely timing of the Christmas story, and to do that, we're going to look at uh, two maybe, maybe lesser-known characters uh, in the Christmas story named Simeon and Anna, and we'll find their story in Luke uh, chapter 2. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there with me this morning. If not, it'll be on the screen here as well. And if you would uh, like a copy of God's Word, if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one for free at our welcome center so that you have your own. But um, again, either way, we'll be in Luke chapter 2 today. And, and here's what we're going to discover about these two individuals. They both had to wait a long time on God. God had promised that he would do something really for the whole nation, but specifically for Simeon, and they had to wait for God to fulfill that promise. In fact, every good Israelite at this point in history who was paying attention to what God had said was waiting on God's timing. He'd made some promises to them, and they had not yet come true, and so here they are waiting for those promises. They're waiting for God to do what he said he would do. How about you? You ever found yourself waiting for a promise from God to come true? You ever found yourself just waiting in general, waiting on uh, somebody to do what they said they would do, waiting for something to happen that you're really uh, hoping will? I don't think we're not exactly patient beings by nature, are we? My, uh, I have a son named Solomon. He's about a month old, and I can tell you with great assurance, yes, <clears throat> I can tell you that we come out not patient people at all. Like, I can tell you that he screams very impatiently as he is waiting for us to give him the food that he wants, right? He doesn't just sit there like, "Ah, I'm happy, right? He screams. That's what we do. That's in our nature. And hopefully, as we grow up, we learn to control that desire to just scream until we get what we want, right? But there's still within all of us this urge, this drive to get what we want when we want it, to not have to wait We don't like waiting. And when you think about it, there's really so much about the Christmas season that involves waiting, isn't there? I don't know about you, but I'm not a particularly patient person. I'll just say that up front. And especially when it comes to Christmas, I'm not at all patient. Um, And um, I'm somebody who will wake my wife up early on Christmas morning. She's the kind of person who kind of would like to sleep in. That's not happening in the Wyman household. Of course, with Solomon, that's probably not happening anyway at this point. But I'm not a patient person, and there's so much about the Christmas season that we need to wait on. We have this whole season for some of us that's months long that involves waiting for that special day on December 25th. And I think maybe, just maybe, part of the reason we fill that season with so many activities and so many parties and and so many to-dos is that we just don't like to wait. We don't like that feeling of not having what we're, we're, we're wanting. And so we have to fill that time with like something to just busy our minds, right? I think that might be part of the reason that we do that. We just don't like to wait, whether it's for our morning coffee, whether it's to get pregnant. Like I said, he's impatient. Whether it's for waiting in traffic, whether it's waiting for our kids to do what we told them to do five times already. We just don't like to wait. But here's what I hope to convince you of this morning. 
God is using your waiting for your good. If we believe that God is sovereign, and he is, if we believe that he controls all of the events of our lives, and he does, then that means that none of our waiting is on accident, that all of our waiting is on a purpose. You have never waited needlessly. You've never waited on accident. God is doing something in your waiting. He's up to something good. That's what I hope to convince you of this morning from this story in Luke. And that doesn't mean that we'll just magically like the process of waiting. But what I hope to do this morning is show you that God is up to something good. He's working to accomplish something good in your life, even when it feels unlikely, even when it feels impossible. God is working toward your good. So let's see that Luke chapter 2 is where we'll be. And to get you caught up uh, to where we are in the story, at this point in history, God has promised a savior, a deliverer to his people of Israel. They've been told that someone was going to come to save them. But then for four hundred years, God was silent. For 400 years, there was no new revelation from God. For 400 years, it was silent. And so generation after generation heard these promises passed down to them, and they were waiting for this Savior. And the longer that they waited, the more unlikely it seemed that God was going to do what he said he would do, that God was going to keep his word. Because waiting kind of naturally causes us to doubt, doesn't it? When someone says that they're going to do something and then that doesn't happen, it naturally causes us to doubt both the promise giver and the promise itself. And so I'm sure that after a while, the Israelites began to question, is this still happening? Did God abandon us? Did he forget about us? Did we misunderstand what he said? Like, what is happening here? I know I start to ask those questions after about 40 seconds of waiting, let alone 400 years. So these people of Israel, they are waiting. And in the middle of that, there were at least two people who waited really, really well. And so we're going to read their story, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so here's what we know about Simeon. He's, a, he's righteous and devout. That's pretty much all we know. He's a godly man who had been promised that he would see the Savior before he dies, which is a really unique promise. I'm not aware of a, a, another individual in all of Scripture that is given that promise, that they would get to see the Messiah before they died. And so that is Simeon. We don't know how long it was in between when he was told uh, that he would see the Messiah and when he actually got to uh, see that promise fulfilled, but we know that in the middle of that time, in the middle of that waiting, he's described as righteous. He's described as devout. And so here's what we can learn from Simeon's story, the first lesson for us. You see, even when God's timing feels unlikely, we can actively rest in God's promises. Even when it seems like God has forgotten us or abandoned us, we can actively rest in what he has said, that he will do what he said he will do. Simeon actively rested by listening to God, by obeying God. He kept waiting for God to do what he said he would do. He realized that the timing wasn't up to him. He recognized that God knew what was best. That's how he actively rested. He wasn't just passively sitting around like, okay, I guess God's going to do something someday. 
actively resting, kept doing what God said he should do. And so what does it mean for us to actively rest? It means that while we wait, we trust. While we wait, we trust in what God has said. We trust in who God is. We trust in his ability to do what he said he would do and to keep his promises. We uh, find rest for our souls really by coming back to a good God who has always proven himself trustworthy. He's always done what he said he would. He has proven himself faithful time and time again. And we can find rest from our fears and our worries and our anxieties because we know that God's going to take care of us. He always has. And he always will. One of the best ways to do that is to look back on all God that has done and remember that he has never abandoned us. He's always met our needs. He's kept his word. He's proven himself faithful. These are not pre-election promises from a political candidate trying to get your vote. These are promises from a good God who wants you to find peace in trusting him because he knows there's no other way to find it. You're not going to find peace in making it happen on your own. You're not going to find peace from the people around you. You're not going to find peace in some political candidate or some leader or some whoever, some pastor. It doesn't matter. You're not going to find peace in anything other than trusting in who God is and what he has said. Getting back into our story, Mary and, Mary and Joseph had, Jesus has already been born and they are uh, coming to the temple to present an offering as the Old Testament uh, law required and Simeon is there and this is his reaction to Jesus. Verse 27, that day the Spirit led him, being Simeon, to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. And so Simeon finally got what he was waiting for. He gets to see the Savior as had been promised to him. God kept his word just like he always does. And as we look at Simeon's story, I think there's really two lessons on waiting that I don't want us to miss in this, uh, this story. And the first is that waiting reveals what you believe. Waiting reveals what you believe. Simeon was shown to be somebody who believed that God would do what he said he would do. In the middle of the waiting, he was, he was patient. He kept waiting on God. He actually believed that God would do what he said he would do. And so waiting has a re way of revealing what we believe and what we actually believe. Not like what we say we believe, not what what's on paper, but what we actually believe in our deepest heart. And secondly, waiting reveals your character. Simeon was revealed to be a righteous and devout man as he waited. And it's in our times of waiting that we show who we really are. See, when, when we have what we want, when we're satisfied, it's a lot easier to hide who we really are, isn't it? But when we're waiting on something, when we're desperately waiting for God to do what he said he would do or someone to do what they said they would do or some situation to work out in our favor or to finally get that job or finally be able to afford that car or finally have that child or, you know, whatever it is that we're waiting on, in the middle of that, in small or in big ways, we show the world who we really are. Our social niceties are kind of stripped away and revealed to be who we actually are. Waiting reveals our character. I want to keep reading in our story to get to our next character named Anna. Skip down with me to verse 36. 
Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So our next character named Anna had a very difficult life. She was a widow for many years, which in that culture was particularly difficult. Not that it's ever easy. I don't want to make light of that. But in that culture as a widow, you had to depend on your children, which we're not told that she has any. Maybe she does. We don't know. Or basically the kindness of strangers to take care of you. You were quite literally helpless. And so in this place, she, uh, she was quite helpless. She was a widow for many years, and it would have been really easy, easy and really normal for her to get angry, to get bitter at God. God, why would you do this? Why would you allow my husband to be taken from me? But yet, what does she do? She waits on God. She spends day and night in the temple worshiping him. And I want you to notice that she does that before God has fulfilled his promise to send the Savior. It's not that she started praising God after God had kept his word, although she knew he would. Before God had delivered that promise, that specific promise she was waiting for, she was spent day and night in the temple worshiping God. And so here's what I think we can learn from Anna's story. Even when God's timing feels unlikely, we can actively wait with praise, fasting, and prayer. Even when it seems unlikely, even when it feels impossible, even when it feels like God has forgotten us or abandoned us, we can actively wait. And I don't know about you, but when I'm waiting on something, praise, fasting, and prayer, those aren't my natural responses. When I'm waiting on something, I, try to, what do, I normally try to make it happen on my own, or I try to make it faster. I try to make it just go like this. I do not like waiting at all, and so my natural response is not praise, fasting, and prayer. I try to make it happen on my own, or I just like give up on the whole thing and move on because I don't like the feeling of waiting. I don't like that tension in my life, and yet I've noticed when I do actually follow Anna's example here, and when I turn in my waiting to praise, fasting, and prayer, I find a peace in the middle of that waiting that the world knows nothing about. And so what we want to talk about is what would it look for us to wait like Anna? Well, let's look uh, quickly at each one of these responses. First, she, uh, she praised, she worshiped God. And, and worship or praise is reminding yourself of how you've already seen God move. It's declaring to yourself and to the people around you how God is good and how specifically he has provided for you, how he's come through for you, how he has shown up and done amazing things. That's what uh, praise and worship is. It's, it, yes, it is, includes music and what we do up here and what we do uh, on a Sunday morning, but it's beyond that. It's declaring to yourself and to the world, I serve a good God and he has been good to me. Secondly, she fasted, and fasting is eliminating the noise and distractions so that we can more clearly hear God's voice. It's taking a break from normal things, even good things, so that we can be more in tune with God, more in tune with what He is saying to us. And then finally, she prayed. And prayer is offering our desires and our thoughts and our feelings and all of who we are to God in the, in the, with the goal, really, 
of aligning our desires with God's desires. And it's so often that as we take things to God in talking with him, when we share our heart, how we truly think and feel about things, that we can kind of get things ironed out and get back to truth and get back to what we know is real. One of the things I love about following Jesus is that we don't have to pretend. We don't have to hide anything from God. And so in prayer, we can take the fact that we really don't like that we're waiting, that we really wish he'd come through already, we really don't like that he's making us wait on this thing, whatever this thing might be. We can actually take that to him and be really, really honest with him. We don't have to be afraid. He already knows. And there's grace for us right in the middle of that. And it's often as we take those things to him and say, God, I don't like this situation. Would you please come through? I've been waiting so long. I don't know why you're making me wait. Help me to trust you. In the middle of doing that, it's often that we are reminded of how he's come through for us every other single time. And we're able to trust him even in the middle of that waiting. There's one final truth about waiting that I think we see in this chapter. Not only does it reveal what we believe and our character, but finally waiting reveals what we trust and what we hope in. Anna revealed in her waiting that she trusted and hoped in God. She trusted and hoped in what God had said that he would do what he said he would do, and in his promise of a Savior. And as we wait, we show the world in, in smaller and big ways what we have trusted in. When we start to try and make things happen on our own, as, as I often do, that shows that we've actually trusted in ourselves, in our ability to make things happen, in our ability to get things done, in our ability to speed things up. We trust in ourselves. When we go to other people and try to get them to fix what only God can fix, or do what only God can do. We show that we've actually put our trust and our hope in those people to get us what we want, to deliver to us what we are waiting for. When we wait impatiently for Christmas Day to open our presents, we show that we've put our hope in those things to give us joy, to give us life, to give us what we have been desiring. From big things to small things in life, waiting reveals what we trust and what we hope in. And Anna's response as she waited on God really reminds me of Philippians chapter 4. If you want to, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. Philippians 4 verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. You notice that? Everything. Not some things, not the big things, not the things that um, seem nice, but pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Go back to how He's provided for you before. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You see, Anna lived this out. Anna took everything to God in prayer and fasting and in praise. And because she did that, she was able to experience a peace despite her circumstances, which were, quite frankly, not very good. And church, the same thing can be true of us today. If we will actively rest, if we will actively wait with praise, fasting, and prayer, we can find that peace. That doesn't mean that we automatically like the waiting. That doesn't mean we're going to be like, oh, yay, I'm so glad I get to wait for this. But in the middle of the waiting, we can find a deep 
deep-seated peace and joy that this world knows nothing about. Because we can trust in who God is. We can trust that he is a good God. So as we close, I've got three questions for you. What are you waiting on this Christmas season? Maybe it's for God to heal somebody in your life. Maybe it's for a loved one to come to Christ. Maybe it's for God to provide a house or a job for you. Maybe you're just waiting for Christmas because you love Christmas, or maybe quite opposite. You are waiting for Christmas to be over because this season just brings a pain like nothing else. I don't know what it might be for you, but secondly, how will you wait in this season? Are you going to wait passively, or will you wait actively? Will you rest in God, or will you try to make it happen on own. You see, no matter what you are waiting on, I hope that you will choose to respond like Simeon and Anna and actively rest and actively wait. And in the middle of that waiting, find a peace for your soul because you can trust God. You can trust that he knows what he's doing. Then finally, what is your waiting revealing about you? Is it revealing about what you hope and trust in, about your character, about what you truly believe? What is your waiting revealing about you? And the good news this morning is that regardless of how pretty or how ugly it might be, there is grace to be found right where you are. Because the Christmas story is true, because Jesus came as a baby, yes, ultimately to die in your place for your sin, no matter what might be revealed about you in your waiting, there is grace and mercy to meet you right where you are. And that is the good news of the Christmas story, that we don't have to be afraid of what is revealed. We don't have to be anxious about what somebody might find out about us because it doesn't matter because Jesus can give us grace. He's already covered it with his sacrifice on the cross. Not only is there grace to meet us, but there's people around us who can be helpful to us. I want to go back to verse 38 of Luke 2. She, being Anna, came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. In this sentence, she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And so apparently, there was a whole group of people who were waiting for God to do what he said he would do. There was a whole group of people who were waiting just like Simeon and just like Anna were. They were not alone in their waiting, but so often as we wait, the enemy is going to seek to convince us that we are all alone, that no one knows, that no one cares, that no one is able to do anything about it. That is what the enemy is going to try to convince you of in your waiting. And I want to just step into that space and say, you are not alone in your waiting. Not only is God with you, but there are people around you who can be helpful to you if you will only ask. If you're thinking to yourself, there's no one in my life like that, then I would encourage you today to join a small group or to uh, reach out to somebody in this church. I am confident that we would love to be that person for you. You don't have to wait alone. You don't have to go it on your own. Church, God is going to use your waiting to do something good in your life. Maybe you can't see it yet. And quite frankly, maybe you won't see it for a long time. But in the middle of that waiting, you can trust in a God who is good. All of your life, he's been faithful. All of your life, he has been good to you. 
All of your life, he has kept his word. He has kept his promises. He's done what he said he would do. And that's not going to change today. That's not going to change in the middle of whatever circumstance you are waiting on. That is not going to change in this Christmas season. He is still a good God who does what is good. And so he's going to use your waiting to accomplish something good in your life. Your waiting is not an accident. You've not been forgotten. You've not been abandoned. God is with you. He's for you. And he's going to do something good in the middle of your waiting. It's not an accident. Let me pray as we end our service. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for... The fact that it, it deals with reality, it deals with human people that have um, responses to things that are just so human. And so, God, we, we thank you for stories like Simeon and Anna who waited on you. And they weren't somehow better than us or more perfect or um, whatever it might be. They were human beings just like we are. And in the middle of their waiting, they were able to trust you. And God, they waited a long time. God, as we wait in this Christmas season on whatever it might be, pray that we would be people who come back to the fact that you have been good to us. All our life, you've been faithful. All our life, you've been good. That we'd remind ourselves of what is true, that you have shown up every single time that we have needed you. I pray that we'd be a people who actively rest and actively wait just like Simeon and Anna. Father, thank you so much for Jesus and that he came to rescue us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.